Hello again, this is Jose Nino here, back with another episode of El Nino Speaks. Today, I'm joined with a good friend. Jayant Bondari is a value investor in the natural resource sector and has written for various websites such as lewrockwell.com, the Mises Institute, the International Man, the Acting Man, among others. How's your day going, Jayant? Very well, Jose. Good afternoon. Awesome. So could you give my listeners a brief overview of your upbringing and career track? Yeah, I grew up uh, in India. And at a certain point of time, I thought I needed an exposure to what was happening outside the country. So I wanted to go to the U.S. to do my post-graduation. However, I was denied a visa to study in the U.S. So I ended up going to the U.K., for one and a half years, which was perhaps the most enlightening part of my life that changed me as a person, that opened up my eyes about a lot of what I expected from a civilization. And then I returned back to India to start subsidiary operations of two European countries And thereafter, I had grown sick and tired of the corruption, bribery, and sheer venality of public servants in the country. But not only that, I was very tired of a very backward, corrupt culture that I had grown up in. And I decided to emigrate. I moved to Canada. And since then, for the last 20 years or so, I have been uh, living in the West. This actually segues into an important question I have because we talk a lot about Western civilization and the overall impact it's had on the globe. Because when people look at Western prosperity, they tend to view it in a very simplistic light in the sense that they assume that this prosperity just happened by chance. However, for most people who study history and understand how countries become prosperous, know that there's much more to that story than meets the eyes. So what do you think made the West prosperous? Well, Jose, it has been a very, very long process. It's been a process that took, I would say, at least three millennia. It was not an easy process. And it's easy to forget that even the paleo people of Europe were relatively enlightened. They had uh, a code of honor among them. Even the barbarians, the Germanic tribes were known to have organizational skills and the honor code within them. The Greco-Roman philosophy came into the picture. Christianity came into the picture. And the interactions between all these over a long period of time resulted into what I might say Magna Carta and thereafter to the kind of economic progress that we have seen over the last 500 years. But the foundations were laid over two or three millennia before that. So this wasn't an easy job. And as you can see, becoming westernized is not an easy process. Look at Ukraine and Russia. They have failed to become westernized. Now, I know a lot of people look at with very romantic eyes at either Russia or Ukraine, but they are exactly the people who haven't been to Ukraine or Russia. Now, these two countries have failed to 
become westernized. But then if you go a bit further out, you realize that South Asia, Africa, and Latin America have become far less westernized. And that is the problem with westernization. It's not an easy process. You have to lay the foundation, philosophical foundation of Western civilization before you can become westernized. And when you use the term Western civilization, I find it a bit of an overuse of one of those two words, because the only civilization that has ever existed on the planet is Western civilization. So that's the only civilization. I have known of no other civilization on the planet. Yeah, it's actually a good point that you mentioned with regards to like Russia and Ukraine, because when you look at Russia, it really is more like a Eurasian style type of like civilization that's very different. It it has like a mix of it, but it's largely pivoting more to Asia now that it's going to have like much stronger ties with China due to being disconnected from the West. We'll be touching upon China later on, but just to like talk about the West, because it's not exactly in its best date right now in how the past century we've seen like the rise of the massive administrative state across the West and just like an overall decline in civil liberties. This trend has only magnified in recent decades, chiefly as we see in the past two years of the response to the COVID-19 pandemic. How bad do you think freedom has actually deteriorated in the West, Jayant? Well, when I look at the history, my guess is that the West peaked at least 150 years back. The Western civilization has been on a downward slope since then. And clearly, as as we see around us today, people have become very comfortable in their materialistic environment. They don't want to challenge the rulers that we have. We accept pretty much whatever they tell us to do. So if they want us to be locked inside our houses, we do so. We believe in what they want us to believe in. We take whatever medicine they want us to take. So we don't challenge them anymore. And increasingly, we have people like uh, Kamala Harris, Biden, and Trudeau, who are truly the worst leaders that the Western society has ever had. These are the people who take no risks with their lives. They are very protected and they are extraordinarily naive and simplistic in their thinking. And they are rapidly taking us to a destructive, degraded, depraved future. Oh, I absolutely agree. The the elite, the so-called elites, because I think these people are a fake elite because elite used to actually connotate something good, like the best people you had in like society, like the best minds, the most productive people. But these people really are just like a parasitic occupational class. And we are governed by like a ruling class that is totally depraved. And that has like a huge like residual effect across like all institutions. And that's probably one of the reasons why the West is actually looking like it's like much more third world, if you will, now. And I think that you bring a unique perspective, Jayant, because of the fact that you're originally from India, live there, and also have lived abroad in the West. So you have a unique perspective on things because (laughs) 
You see a lot of mainstream economic pundits out here saying that India is a promising nation with superpower potential. You, on the other hand, are much more skeptical about those claims. In your estimation, what makes India's future look rather dim? Well, I'm not skeptical about India. I know with surety the future of India. India is going downhill very rapidly. It has been going downhill since the time the British left that country. Its institutions have fallen apart completely. There is no concept of the rule of law. It's a very low-trust society. Corruption is rampant. You give and take bribes in front of the judges, in front of the police. Every policeman and every judge is on sale. The politicians are completely brain dead. They are not just uh, naive and crooked. They are simply brain dead, a result of the Indian masses bringing these politicians into power. So this country has been on a rapid downward slope for the last 70 years. Now, economically, India might have done a bit over the last, let's say, 20 years or so. But that was mostly because of the economic growth that was happening because Western technology kept on improving. Now that India has plucked the low-hanging fruit, India has already been stagnant for the last five years or so. And my guess is that uh, India will no longer see economic growth going forward. India will fall apart very, very rapidly going forward because, again, there are no institutions. Economic growth has come to a halt and that will create social stresses that the people in power will no longer be able to manage, particularly given that they are so completely incompetent. So that is what I see as the future of India. It is already a country whose GDP per capita is less than $2,000 per year. So it's a very, very poor country, more poor than sub-Saharan Africa on averages. So you can imagine how poor India is. So anyone who tells you that India has a potential or India has a glorious future is naive, simplistic, has not really lived a life outside his uh, Excel spreadsheets on his laptop. (laughs) Such people actually have to go and visit and live in India in some real parts of India, not just go fly business class and stay in five-star hotels in Mumbai and New Delhi. They have to go out and really spend some time outside the big cities. And it won't take them much time to realize that India has no potential. It did not have a potential and it will never have a potential. It's a tribal country that will eventually fall apart. It is held together by the inertia that the British left it with. The British left organizations in place which were very good, solid organizations, but the tribalism of India, the termite-like tribalism of Indians has hollowed those organizations out and India is rapidly falling apart. That sounds pretty bleak, but you, on the other hand, are much more optimistic about another country because you've been pretty outspoken about the fact that you don't really see many emerging markets out there. In fact, you think there's only one emerging market, and that is China. 
Why do you believe China's economic future looks so bright? Well, so East Asian countries, Singapore, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Korea, Japan, and China, China increasingly now, has shown the potential and the possibility to continue to grow. These people have been the only people who have copied Western values, Western civilization, and they have increasingly become civilized as a product of their copying and pasting Western ways of life in their societies. If you look at the economic growth that took place in Japan and South Korea, that is pretty much being replicated in China. That should tell you that China is actually on the same path that South Korea and Japan were at one point of time. And I know that a lot of people in the Western society want to believe that China is a paper tiger. Uh, But all you have to do, Jose, is to look around yourself. Just about everything material that you look around yourself, a lot of them, majority of them are actually produced in China. Your laptop, your headset, your printers, they are all manufactured in China. So China is a real deal. It's a real economy. I go to China and I see improvements happening in China all the time. But don't misunderstand me. A lot can go wrong with China because China is still a mid-level country and it is still ruled by the same people who were ruling under the institutions that used to exist before 1980s. So a lot can go wrong with China, and I'm not necessarily very happy with how they have responded to COVID in the recent weeks. But given all that, despite all that, China is the only developing country that I know of, and it has done a lot in terms of improving the lives of their people. They have continued to grow for the last 30 years, and it is the only country among the developing countries the so-called developing countries, because it's the only developing countries, it's the only country that I know of among the non-Western societies that has the potential to continue to grow. So what other features of East Asia would you say makes it look like the future of humanity that come to mind? So Jose, the key aspect to make sure a civilization happens is a code of honor, a code of ethics, integrity, a value system in which people trust each other, in which people speak the truth and conduct themselves in an honorable fashion. Now, without those foundations, you can have economic growth, but such an economic growth is neither sustainable nor is it productive. You only become hedonistic and materialistic if you don't have the value system in place before economic growth happens. So for example, you can look at a lot of countries, let's say in the Middle East or in recent times in Latin America and South Asia that became economically well off without having the underpinning value system. What happened to those countries? They all became hedonistic and materialistic and relatively feral, I would say. So economic growth does not help people like these. And you have to have the right moral foundations for a civilization 
before economic growth should happen. Now, remember, East Asian countries, Japan, Korea, they already, and China, they already had a certain moral fabric, the Confucius way of thinking, an honor code within them that enabled them to absorb within that moral fabric a lot of values that came in from Christianity and Europe. So they were able to create a copy of European moral fabric within East Asia. And that is what gives me the confidence that these people have a potential to continue to grow and become the future of humanity. Because one thing that they haven't done is that they haven't completely accepted democracy, which is a very decadent system, and they have not opened up their gates for all kinds of immigrants and refugees. So that leads me to think that East Asia is the place which has a potential to be the future of humanity. But of course, a lot can go wrong with China. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of question marks with like its like demographics and the fact that it's still like residually like a pretty statist economy. Yeah, one thing that I've always respected about Asian cultures is that they're pretty low time preference when it comes to saving and they don't really engage in a type of like really hedonistic and really short-term style thinking that a lot of Westerners have embraced like wholeheartedly over the past like few decades. So you travel to the US a lot and I believe if I'm not mistaken that you've lived here for a bit What has been your impression of the U.S. over the past decade? And do you think that it's actually going through a genuine cultural and institutional decline? Yeah, it is certainly going through an institutional decline. Culturally, it's declining very rapidly. The social opprobrium that used to be associated with bad conduct is rapidly going away in the U.S., Now, if you have a free society, you should have social opprobrium associated with bad conduct. That is no longer an issue in the U.S., which means that culturally, bad behavior is no longer under control in the U.S. Uh, I spend a lot of time in the U.S. U.S., in my view, continues to be the best country on the planet, but its decline will be rather rapid. And the reason is that There's a large population of the U.S. that is relatively feral. It's a population that's hedonistic. And this is always a problem in any free society because when you give freedom to people, not only good creative people become free and become extraordinarily productive, you also give a lot of freedom to feral people to become hedonistic and depraved. So it is extremely important, in my view, to have a culture or a religious system that inhibits bad behavior. But the U.S. has, because of several factors, the liberalism of the U.S. and whatever that has happened since at least 1960, means that we have condoned being single mother, for example, or drug usage, for example, or as happens in California, where I am these days, you can go to a store and steal 
stuff worth, I think, up to $900 or something. And it is not actually considered a crime. So we have become very accepting of bad behavior. And that is not going to do very well for the US. And every sign is that we are going to become more accommodating in the US for bad behavior, which means that this country will continue to go downhill. And I see nothing to stop it because now we have rulers like uh, Biden and Harris, and they have put this country on a vicious cycle. This has become pretty apparent, I believe, like with COVID-19 and everything. Like you've seen the just like the response, really, and also the moral panic related to wokeism that now you're seeing like almost like third world style customer service in a lot of places. I've like noticed that now and it's gotten really out of hand. And I think it's only going to get worse because you do have like a culture now that's always like screaming about systemic racism and all of that. And, and as a result, like you can't really socially check people that engage in like antisocial behavior, lest you want to be called a racist or get caught in a viral video and have like a, internet mob of people just ruin your life. And that's kind of becoming like the norm in the US. And I think that's actually something that does not augur well for its social cohesion. Do you see a way out of this for the US? Or do you think it's going to be kind of hard for it to break out of the cycle? Well, I think it's almost impossible to break out of this cycle, Jose. And there is a very simple empirical reason behind it. Every single country out of 200 countries that you see on the planet that is developed, that has managed to become a civilization is either a country with majority European population or majority East Asian population. And in fact, to the degree that countries like Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, Vietnam or Cambodia are better than the rest of the undeveloped countries are in proportion to how many Chinese or East Asians there are in those countries. So growth and development is almost directly proportional to the involvement of Europeans and Chinese in your society. The problem with the U.S. is that U.S. will very soon be less than 50% European in its ethnic demographics. The problem, Jose, is that Europeans are the only people who understand the concept of liberty. And this is, of course, generalizing for the group. Individuals can be all kinds of people, but Europeans are the only people who understand the concept of liberty. And East Asians are the only people, apart from Europeans, who have the concept of honor as groups. And as a result, I see no hope for the future in the medium term, because of the voting pattern that is going to change as America becomes less than 50% European. That's one point I do hammer home with a lot of people, especially on the right, that are naive about demographics, because countries are not ideas. They're like peoples and places. And if you have a population whose founding stock is diluted, inevitably its culture, political and economic institutions are just going to change. And that's just like a fact. And I'd say one of like the most radical transformations that we saw was, as you mentioned, Jayant, like 1960s legislative package from the civil rights revolution, which brought us the anti-discrimination administrative state to 
the third world mass migration that was unleashed by Hart Seller, which also operated under similar logic to the civil rights movement, because it's all predicated on radical egalitarianism. And now we are seeing the fruits, really the poison fruits of that harvest, and it's becoming pretty bad. And I've warned people that if we don't get this in check, we're going to be talking about the long lost tribes of the Americans soon, of the European Americans soon, because of the fact that like by the end of the 21st century, if this continues apace, you're just going to see the disappearance of the historic American nation, like the way many other civilizations have disappeared over the past millennium. Absolutely, Jose. I completely agree with you. And I, as I said, I don't see this degradation is stopping. I think this will continue apace. And American involvement in the world, particularly the kinds that they have had recently, let's say in Iraq, Libya, were not the kind of Pax Americana involvement that America had in the past. So American involvement overseas is becoming worse and worse with the time and useless and counterproductive as time has gone by. So America is becoming less and less powerful in the world. And as a result, Pax Americana is going away as well. The respect for America is declining as well in the world scene. So you see a lot of degradations happening with the U.S. right now. Yeah. It is looking like we are entering a Eurasian century, which for all intents and purposes is likely going to have a lot less freedom, but it could have more stability because of the simple fact that with wokeism as the U.S. is governing ideology, it's unfortunately going to be spread. And you see it in many of like the professional urban classes abroad that are embracing this. And that type of soft power is toxic. And it's like, literally civilization destroying. So it's probably better for multipolarity to emerge so that people have like different options because I would not want to live on a planet that has like a woke monoculture. But let's not dwell on all the negative stuff because one thing I do like to hammer home on this program and also my overall body of work is controlling your life and improving yourself. What advice do you generally give liberty-minded or right-leaning people on how to thrive in times of like just great economic and political upheaval and uncertainty? So, Jose, East Asian countries have completely ignored the concept of wokeism. A few weeks back, I asked a Chinese friend to post on her groups about wokeism, and if people in Korea, Singapore, or China understood that concept, either those people had no clue about wokeism, or if they knew what it was, they were laughing at it. So that's one great thing about East Asian countries. They are relatively conservative from that point of view. So wokeism has completely ignored East Asia, and East Asians have completely ignored wokeism. You are completely correct that East Asians have also avoided becoming hedonistic. So that's another great thing about East Asia. The problem is that what Western civilization developed as its underpinning, which is Christianity and the Western philosophy, have not been fully imbibed in East Asia. Again, because this is a job of century, if not millennia. So unfortunately, that has not been adopted by 
East Asians. And in my view, the real nutrients come from Western philosophy and Christianity. So how this will play out, I'm not sure. But at least in the short and medium term, East Asia looks extraordinarily good to me in terms of protecting yourself, living a relatively decent life. Remember, Japan has no mandates. They don't have to be vaccinated for COVID in Japan. And Japan hasn't had a proper lockdown ever. And Japanese government has been telling corporations and other people not to be biased against people who have not been vaccinated. So that's how liberty-oriented in a way Japan has been over the last two years. So you can find a lot of liberty in East Asia. Of course, the underpinnings of Western civilizations are still not very solid in East Asia, which means that Western philosophy and Christianity have not taken deep roots there. I hope they do eventually, but in the medium term, for your money and for yourself, East Asia might be a great place to be. I see. Yeah, that's actually what it's looking like. Some people will have to probably go abroad to find rational governance and like societies that are like healthy, but that's going to depend on their individual circumstances. So before we leave, Jayant, do you have any concluding remarks? Jose, these days it's extremely easy to travel the world. Now, of course, the traveling has been a bit difficult for the last two years, but I have done a lot of traveling in these two years. And it's not impossible. You should travel the world. You should check out these countries. I suggest people should keep their eyes open about China. The mainstream media does not like China at all. So they pick out the bad aspects of China. China is a wonderful country, at least for now. Things can, of course, go wrong with China. But go and have a look around China, travel in it, and understand how free you might feel in China. So travel around East Asia, invest there, and try to understand their cultures rather than choose the viewpoint of the mainstream media about those countries. All right. Thank you, Jayant. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I believe my audience will too. So feel free to promote your content. Well, uh, thanks very much. It's always fun talking with you, Jose. You can go to my website, jayantpandari.com to check out my writing and speaking work. But also, most importantly, I run a yearly seminar in Vancouver called Capitalism and Morality, whose videos you can watch uh, on my website. And Jose, you will be one of the speakers of my seminar, which will be held in July 2022 hoping that they allow you inside Canada. Canada (laughs) has become a COVID tyranny. So I hope I can still run the seminar and I hope I can still have you speak at my seminar. Yeah, I look forward to that event. And I hope cooler heads do prevail both in the US and in Canada when it comes to this travel, because it's been pretty insane the past two years. All right, then. To all of my wonderful listeners, thank you again for tuning in. And with that, El Nino has spoken.